Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea um, is the first of the minor prophets. Um, So basically, go in your Bible, find Isaiah, the, the big prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea comes right after Daniel. Turn to Hosea chapter 6. I I told you when we first started doing these virtual services that I was going to um, push the series on Elijah off until we gathered together again. But um, I'm actually going to start Elijah back the Sunday after Easter, so two weeks from today. I'm going to do that whether... Um, whether we're back together or not. Um, I want to get through the Elijah series at a certain point in the calendar year so that when we are back together, we can start another series that I'm really looking forward to doing with you. Um, And so today, Hosea, next Sunday is Easter. We'll do an Easter sermon, and then we'll pick Elijah's story back up on the 19th. Um, Hosea chapter 6. If you look at a typical church prayer list, um, you will see listed revival. We're praying for revival. Interestingly enough, our prayer list doesn't have that. That's more of an oversight than anything. Um, But if you look at the typical prayer list of a church, you see the word revival. We're praying for revival. In fact, if I were to ask many of you what you think America needs more than anything, you'd likely say Revival. But what do you mean by that? Because if I asked 10 of you to define what revival is, I'd probably get 12 different answers, wouldn't I? Some of you would say it means that prayer would be back in public schools. Some of you would say it means the Ten Commandments would be in the courthouses. Some of you would say it means we have a Christian president. Um, some of you would say it would mean that the department stores at Christmas time would say Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays. Um, for those of you who are older, you might picture revival would be um, that the church would be the way it was when you were a kid in the 1950s. If you're younger, you might say something like, you know, churches need to stop. Re- revival would come when a church would stop being old, outdated, and boring. Everybody has a different definition of what revival is. And however they define it, they would say that there is something wrong in the church, in the nation, and in the world. It needs to have a bigger influence from, from the Christian faith than it does. This is not a new problem, however. It's not something in the 21st century that is new. It's not even something that lost its way at 1950. It goes back much farther than that. Let's look at the story of a man named Hosea, and we'll see what that looks like. Hosea chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. 
Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Hosea opens his sermon saying, come, let us return to the Lord. Hosea was a prophet in Israel. Um, it was in the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, see, see, Solomon was king of, of, of the nation. After he died, he had two sons. Neither one of them could decide who was going to be king, so they just split the nation in half. There was a northern and a southern kingdom. Um, the, the northern kingdom had their own a palace set up in Samaria, and the southern kingdom remained in Jerusalem, where, where David and Solomon would have reigned. Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom has all bad kings. Every single king they have, it says of them that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. As we're studying the, the story of Elijah, um, the, 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 the story of Ahab takes place in the northern kingdom. He was one of the bad kings. <coughs> Hosea prophesied shortly before what happens in the northern kingdom. The Assyrian army comes in and, and, and just levels the place. They take all the Israelites out to exile in Assyria. They um, destroy the place. They pillage the people's stuff. They take it from them. And this is God's judgment on the people. And Hosea is prophesying just before that happens. And he's pleading with the people, return to the Lord before this happens to you. Before God keeps his word from Deuteronomy where he said that if you don't follow him, judgment will come on you and you will lose your nation. And Hosea says that's going to happen if you don't return to the Lord. Hosea understands returning to the Lord. He gets it more than anybody. Do you know the story of Hosea? Flip back to chapter 1. The story of Hosea, it, it, it sounds like a country music song when you read it. Like it's just, it, it's just a really crazy love story. Um, Hosea is a young man, probably in his early 20s. God speaks to him and tells him to go marry a prostitute. And, and God is going to use that marriage, that, that marriage of a Hosea to the prostitute to show what his love looks like toward Israel. Hosea is going to play the part of God. The, the prostitute is going to play the part of Israel. Hosea goes and finds a prostitute, and he doesn't just marry her for a sermon illustration. He actually loves this woman. He loves her dearly. 
He, he marries a woman named Gomer. He loves Gomer. Look at the story, chapter, Hosea chapter 1. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Pay attention to words in this passage, because what the passage doesn't include at times may give you a little clue into what's going on. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow or by the sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said of them, You are not my people, it shall be said of them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. It's an incredible story. Many people say we don't know that Gomer was a prostitute when Hosea married her, but I think the text is clear that it is. God tells him, go marry a prostitute, and he goes and finds Gomer. It's not that she became a prostitute after he married her. She was a prostitute when he married her. They have three children. Take a look at them. Verse 3, um, she, remember I said, pay attention to the words. She bore him a son. They call him Jezreel um, to, to, to remind them of some judgment that's coming. Um, verse 6, she conceived again and bore a daughter. Not bore him a daughter, bore a daughter. And, and the Lord said, call her no mercy. So it's this thing of, we know the first one is Hosea's kid. The second one, uh, maybe he's Hosea's kid, but we don't know. And the third one is for sure. Verse um, 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Again, doesn't indicate that it's Hosea's, but um, look at what they call him. Not my people. That's what they named their child. Not my people. Very clear, this is not Hosea's kid. Now, Hosea is going to have to raise the kid, but it's not Hosea's kid because he's married to a prostitute. But despite all of this, despite this, the, the promise that is given at the end of this chapter is, uh, though they are so unfaithful to me, someday they are going to be faithful to me. The two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, are going to be reunited under one king, the son of David, the Messiah. 
Israel is like a prostitute instead of a wife. That's what the life of Hosea is trying to tell the people. They are like a prostitute in their faithfulness, not like a wife. Gomer is completely unfaithful to Hosea. Every day, Gomer is out being a prostitute, running around with other men. And Hosea is at home cooking dinner by himself, raising the kids by himself. He's putting them to bed at night, um, tucking them in by himself. He is then getting in bed alone and going to sleep. And he's calling Hosea. He's saying, hey, when are you going to... He's calling Gomer and he's saying, hey, when are you going to be home? And she's saying, hey, I just got to work late at the office tonight. You just got to... You got to be okay with that. I'm at the office. I'm working hard to provide for our family is what she's saying. And of course, Hosea knows she's not working late at the office. That's not what she's doing. But despite all this, Hosea is faithful to her. He sets a place for her at the table. When she doesn't show up, he makes a plate for her of dinner and he leaves it um, there for her to heat up when she gets home. He leaves a light on for her so that when she comes home, she won't be walking through the darkness to, to get to where she needs to go in the house. Hosea is playing the part of God in this story, and Gomer is playing the part of God's people. Completely faithful God, completely unfaithful people. And, and then we see this, go back to chapter 6. Then we see this um, thing in verses, kind of the second half of 1 and verse 2. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Speaking of God. Can I just say I hate this pandemic? I hate it. I hate quarantine. I feel like I'm in prison in my house. I, I, I hate it. I'm tired of preaching to a video camera. I want to preach to a congregation of people. I hate how discouraging everyone is being over social media, acting like they are experts on how to live during this pandemic. It's just, uh, it's causing me physical pain. And I've got it easy compared to some people. Having to actually go and work in the hospital during this time. Having to you know, question, is my business going to stay afloat? Small business owners. I've got it easy in this time, but I hate this pandemic. I hate this time. But you know, I very much think we're in a time of, of, of being torn. Verse Verse 1, he has torn us. Why? So that he may heal us. I think we're in a time of that. God is doing things in the midst of this pandemic that we can't even see right now. We may not recognize for years. He's doing things. You know, we often talk about how much we want revival, but the reality is we really only want revival if life is going to basically stay the same for us, right? If I can, it, it, we want revival if, if I can continually go about my own life doing my own thing, but more people start to come to church. You know, people cuss less. You know, the U.S. government would pray more. In other words, we want revival to happen to all those people out there. But just understand, revival doesn't start in the White House. 
Revival doesn't start in the schools. Revival doesn't start in the courthouse. If you want to see revival, you must start by you returning to the Lord. It must be you first. Not the government, not the schools, not anybody else. You. You have to start revival by returning to the Lord. God often carries out great movements in the world through times of tearing down. The church has had its greatest times of growth in history during times of intense suffering, times of intense persecution, intense martyrdom, Christians being killed. You kill one Christian, ten more pop up. That's, that's how it's been in history. During times of being torn down, God has done his greatest work. Most of you, as I've been calling you, most of you have said, I've never seen anything like this. Even some of our older members have said that. In our lifetimes, we have never seen God tear us like this. And perhaps on the other side of this, when we're out of it, you're going to be saying, I've never seen God heal us like this. Let that be our hope in the midst of this trying time. Maybe God is tearing us in ways we've never seen so that he can heal us in ways we have never seen but it's hard right now. Being torn hurts. Anxiety has been some of the worst. Anxiety has been some, has seen some bad days in the last few weeks for me and for a lot of you. But there's a lot of pain and sadness and fear that comes um, with, with, with Adrian and I expecting a baby in seven weeks right, right now. There's a lot of fear and, and sadness that comes and things that we don't get to do, like, like that, that, that we don't get to do as um, about to be having a baby. There are siblings that Adrian and I know who have lost a parent and they can't even come together to mourn their parent's death right now. You know, even this week, schools have been canceled for the rest of the year. That means seniors don't get all the things that, that, that are so great about senior year. You know, senior trip and prom and graduation and, and all, the, all the celebration that comes with those things. They don't get those things. Being torn hurts. But God doesn't tear us to be cruel to us. Understand that. He doesn't. He tears us, the, the sort of way like when you exercise and you stretch your muscles, you, you do that so they can grow. So on the other side of this, we're going to be more developed by the tearing that God is doing right now. What is God doing in this pandemic? Well, I can't say all things. I can say a few things that I recognize in myself and in some people that I know. He is humbling us. He's reminding us all that we will die one day and to live our life in, in, in knowledge of that. He's weaning us off some of the things of the world. He's showing us that there are many things that we think we need that we truly don't need. He's exposing idols that we worship instead of Him. When those things are taken away from us, we physically convulse, we get enraged. He's showing us that how much we worship eating out and college basketball and, and shopping. He's taking those things away from us and showing us that we don't need those things. 
and they have more control of our heart than we realize. He's showing us what is truly important. He's slowing us down. He's making us have to rely on him instead of what we have, instead of our money, instead of our job. He's making us have to rely on him. He's causing people to have to work together instead of being all about themselves. And he's giving us ample opportunity to return to him. Hosea says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Verse 2. He's simply speaking about a short amount of time. There's no symbolism in that. It's just two or three days. You return to the Lord two or three days, he's going to raise you up. That's what he says. Putting it simply, if you will return to the Lord, it will not be long before he revives us and raises us up. We understand revival ultimately comes from God. There's nothing that we can do to bring about revival. We can, have, we can certainly have revival services but, and bring in the best preachers, but, but it's up to God to bring about revival. God does the raising up. God does the healing. Our responsibility is to put ourselves and our churches in the position for God to pour that out on us and then wait on it. We must accept that we may be in a time of being torn down instead of healing. We must pray fervently that on the other side of this pandemic, God is going to do great things in healing us and healing our world. So we come to verse 3. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Let us, twice in this verse, he says, let us, let us return to the Lord, verse 1. Let us press on to know the Lord, verse 3. It's that thing. Returning to the Lord means we press on to know him. That's what revival is. When, we, when the Bible talks about the end of history, what, what it's going to look like, it, it talks a lot about the knowledge of the Lord, knowing the Lord. It says things like, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. It says things like, in the, in the last days, you won't have to tell each other to know the Lord because everyone will know Him. Everyone will know Him. That's what revival is, that everyone would know Him. Our definition of revival is often something other than that. You know, so a common one that people talk about is, is prayer being back in schools. Can I just say something true to you? You can still pray in school. You can. God is still in the schools. Okay, He is the sovereign, all-powerful God of glory. No man can kick Him out of anywhere. He's got more authority than that. Man has no authority to tell God what to do. I don't know what God you worship, but that's the God I worship. He's got all power. You can't remove Him from schools. You can still pray in school. I want you to understand, revival is not teachers beginning class with prayer with a bunch of students who don't want to pray. That's not revival. Revival is when Christian students, who, who, when Christian students in school get serious about Christ and start meeting to pray before class starts and it breaks out through the whole school. That's what revival is, and that is still possible. You get that? The government can't stop that from happening. 
That is still possible. I went to school when prayer was out of school, and I met regularly with fellow classmates to pray in the morning. Nothing was illegal about that. God is not out of the schools. The question is, are those of his people there in school going to live radical, sold-out lives for him in school, or are they going to be silent? Because when the students and the teachers decide they're going to live radical lives for Christ in school, that's when revival will happen. That, that's when it will happen. That's how it's always happened. Revival will happen when the people of God are all individually returned to God and press on to know Him. Sir, you throw a fit that our nation needs revival, but you never crack open your Bible. Ma'am, you are always talking about how nobody loves the Lord in America anymore, yet you spend more time sharing stuff on Facebook than you share the good news of what God has done with the people in your life. Do you see the problem here? It's not just America, it's all of us. We must return to the Lord, and we must press on to know Him. We must not be faithless like a prostitute with her husband. We must not be that unfaithful if we want to see revival. So some of you met Jesus years ago, and you haven't grown any deeper in your faith than that moment, and it shows. You know, there's more theology in the children's sermon on Sunday morning, no offense, Howard, than, than there is in your entire theology at all. Everything you know about God, the, the, the children's sermon is more deep than what you know. Do you want to see revival in your heart, in your house, in your church, in this nation? Get to know the Lord better. Read his word and see who he is. He is far greater than you could ever imagine, and you will never grow tired of getting to know him more. One of my favorite writers named John Piper, he's got this incredible quote that I've read in a lot of sermons. He says this, Jesus is 10 million times greater in every respect than the greatest men and women history has ever produced. If you took all the greatest thinkers of every country, and every century of the world and put them in a room with Jesus, they would shut their mouths and listen to the greatness of his wisdom. All the greatest generals would listen to his strategy. All the greatest musicians would listen to his music theory and his performance on every instrument. There is nothing that Jesus cannot do a thousand times better than the person you admire most in any area of human endeavor under the sun. Get to know this Jesus. He is far more incredible than any person you know, any person you've ever known, any person in history, any person in the future, any person on TV. He is far greater than any of them. Get to know him better. Learn more about him. Grow deeper in your faith with him. You will not be disappointed by it. He will satisfy your soul in a way nothing else ever can. He will do that. God wants you to grow he wants you to press on in knowing Him. That means you're going you're gonna to grow and change. I know some of you hate change, but God is not content in you remaining as you are right now, and you shouldn't be either. You should want to know God better so you can grow to be more like Christ so He can change you. Press on for that. Get to know God the way you would get to know a best friend really well. You would learn everything about them. You need to know about God's holiness. 
It will lead you to want to live a holy life. You need to know about God's sovereignty. It will lead you to submit your life to Him and trust that every second of your life is in His hands under His control. You, you, you need to know God's infinity, that he, that he is more than anybody can ever imagine. You will stand in awe of Him because of that, because you can't wrap your head around Him. You need to know that God is glorious. You need to see His glory. It will lead you to worship Him. And you need to know God's faithfulness. And that's what quality Hosea highlights Second part of verse 3, His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God is faithful. He's faithful as dawn. Question, how likely is it that the sun is going to rise tomorrow? Whether there's clouds blocking it or not, how likely is it that the sun is going to rise? 100% certain. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and for the rest of history, the sun is going to rise every morning. That's how faithful God is. He's always there. He is always true to His Word. He always keeps His promises. And just like Hosea, He's leaving the light on for you. He's never going to leave you, ever. Notice how Hosea contrasts us from God. Verse 4. What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud. It's like the dew that goes away early. God is as faithful as the dawn, as faithful as the sun coming up. We're as faithful as dew on the grass in the morning. It goes away pretty quick. Our faithfulness to God is about as quickly gone as that dew. It's there at 6.30 when we wake up, when the sun comes up, and it's gone by 9 a.m. It's gone. That's how quick we give up on the Lord. That's how quick we turn our back on Him. We start a Bible reading plan on January 1st, and we're, we've stopped by January 10th. We tell the Lord, you know, if you get me through this, if you get me through what I'm going through, I'll do this for you. I'll do this. I'll go back to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll share Jesus with all kinds of people. If you get me through this, I will do that. And then we don't. As soon as we get through it, it goes from our mind. The Lord's faithful to get us through it. We're not faithful to keep our word. We, we make all kinds of commitments to the Lord and they don't last you know, I remember going to youth camp a couple times as a kid, and you know, we're, we're all the final night around a campfire, and we're standing there telling all the commitments that we're going to make to the Lord, and how sold out we're going to live our life once we get back from camp. And by about a week or two after camp is over, that, that is burned out as quick as that campfire burned out. We are unfaithful. We are like a prostitute in relation to her faithful husband. We spend so much time saying that other people need revival, America needs revival, young people need revival, city people need revival. The only way revival is ever going to happen is if you stop worrying about who else needs revival and start worrying about the revival in your own heart, sir, ma'am. You, you must do that. You must return to the Lord. Because we are as faithful as morning dew. 
come let us return to the Lord. We have to do that every single day. Jesus puts it in Luke 9, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. You've got to make a commitment to come back to God every single day. It's not something you do once a year at a revival service. It's not something you do once a year at Easter. It's something you have to do every morning. You have to commit to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Notice verse 5. God has slain them by the words of, their, of His mouth and by His judgment. You know, I really hope this quarantine is causing you to turn to God, to recognize how much you need Him every single day, and to continually come to Him as your only source of life. Not just what other people to, need to do, but what you need to do. Let God worry about other people. You worry about you. We come to verse 6, the final verse of the passage. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In other words, God is saying, I don't care about your church life if you don't love me. I don't care about your church life if you don't care to know me. I don't care that you put on a suit and come to church, sing songs and tell the preacher he did a good job at the door if you are far from me. Don't, you don't really know me. You don't really love me. I don't care that you came to church if that's your heart. I don't care how much money you put in the offering plate if you don't love me, if you don't know me. I don't care how much time you spend at church if you don't love me, if you don't know me. God is saying, I'm not impressed by your religious acts. I know your heart, and I know you don't care about me. I hope this pandemic teaches you what is truly important in church. That when we come back and gather together, there's going to be a um, revival of all of our souls in what is important at church. So many things that we think are important in church are not important. You know, the worship wars that took place for decades that still has a few remnants going on today, that doesn't matter. It, do, it doesn't, like styles of music should not be at war against one another. Let's sing them all. Like, there are persecuted believers around the world who would give their right arm to be able to sing any song in church, and they can't. Like, how you dress to church, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that one of our young people wore shorts to church. That's not forbidden in the Bible. It doesn't matter that somebody wore a t-shirt to church. That's not forbidden in the Bible. I can preach just as well with or without a tie. That doesn't matter. You know, when people used to get all up in a wad about which Bible translation was the best, you know, the King James is the only version. No, that doesn't matter. The best Bible translation is the translation you're going to read. Let this pandemic teach you what is truly important. What's truly important is that the people in these pews love Jesus. What's truly important is that the people in these pews worship Jesus. And what's truly important is that the people in these pews can't stop talking about Jesus.
What, that's what God desires. He doesn't desire all churches everywhere to look like the church you're familiar with. Some of them meet in church buildings. Some of them meet in warehouses. Some of them meet in shopping malls. Some of them meet in coffee shops. Some of them meet in mud huts in Africa. It's not about a church looking like the way you understand church to be. It's about people loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and going out to tell people about Jesus. That's the thing that's important. That's what's important, and I hope this pandemic teaches you that. Let's throw all of our other idols aside. All of our other burnt offerings aside, all of our other, you know, all of our other sacrifices aside, those things don't matter. What matters is that people know the Lord and love the Lord and worship the Lord. That's what matters. If we want to see revival in America, that's, that has to be what we long for. Revival is not Republicans being in, in control of the Senate. Revival is not the cashier at, at, at Publix telling you Merry Christmas. Revival is not the Ten Commandments being posted in the Tiff County Courthouse. Re revival is when God's people, the church, start actually taking Him seriously and living faithful to Him. That they cannot contain how much they love Him, how, how much they want to get to know Him. They hate their sin, and they are daily battling even sins that are only in their mind. That they can't contain their singing. They sing boldly and loudly and confidently as they worship the God who is truly worthy. They, they, they long with everything in them to gather with the people of God, to worship the Son of God by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. They can't stop talking about Jesus everywhere they go because He's everything their life is about. That they have stopped playing the prostitute and they've come home to their faithful husband. This is the revival I pray comes from this pandemic, this time of being torn so God can heal us. Do you know how the story ends for Hosea and Gomer? G Gomer ends up in, in something like a human trafficking situation. She's, she's been taken captive and being sold pretty much. And, and God tells Hosea, go love your wife again. Go get your wife. Can, can you picture Hosea? I mean, chapter one kind of made it sound like all three of these kids are kind of under four years old. You know, you got one kid who's into everything in the house. You got one kid who's in his terrible twos and thinks he knows everything. And then you got another kid that's still a baby, has to be fed every, you know, three hours, has to be taken care of. Hosea's doing all this by himself. He's at home, he's taking care of those kids, two of which may not even be his. He's stressed to no end. Gomer is never home. She's ran out on him time and time again. He's got to be discouraged to no end and probably feeling done with her. And God says, Hosea, go get your wife. Go get her. Go buy her back. And Hosea goes out and buys her back. Look at the story, Hosea 3.
And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Uh, Hosea goes out and he, and he buys Gomer back. It's a pretty low amount that he pays for her. She's gotten so low that she's next to worthless in value. He, he goes and, and pays 15 pieces of silver and a few things from around his cabinets. Some barley, silver and barley, that's what he pays for her. It's actually, if you, uh, scholars say that the amount of stuff that he used of barley probably equals 15 pieces of silver. So 30 pieces of silver together. Exodus 21, 32, that's how much a slave is worth, 30 pieces of silver. Uh, understand, Hosea is just a preacher. He doesn't have enough money to pay for even the small price that Gomer is worth. He just sort of starts looking around the house to find whatever he can to match the price. He's digging through his cabinets, pulling out all those canned vegetables and everything that he hasn't eaten in two years like we all have. He pulls them out. He gets them all together. He runs up to the guy who owns Gomer and says, This is my wife. Here, take this. I want her back. And he gives that to her. And he goes to the auction mark and he grabs her and says, Come on, we're going home. And you're going to stay home. And you're going to be there where you're cared for. None of these men care for you. They only want your, what you can give them. I want you. He loves this woman. She has been completely unfaithful to him. And he buys her back. God has done the same for you. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good, not when we were, you know, thinking rightly, not when we were, you know, on the right track, not when we finally got our life together. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came to the auction mart and gave not 30 pieces of silver, he gave his life to buy us back. Despite your unfaithfulness, God has bought you back. He paid the price for you. How much did Judas betray Jesus for, do you know? 30 pieces of silver. The, the same price that, that ultimately Hosea paid to Gomer and that a slave would have been paid for. 30 pieces of silver. Jesus became as worthless as Gomer so that he could buy you back. He took our place on the auction mart. He, he stood up there and he let us go free. S salvation has come to those of us who believe. The, those of us who have received Christ and been born again, we've been bought back. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us the same way Hosea redeemed Gomer. This is our God. 
He loves you. He has come and bought you back. Would you stop playing the prostitute? Revival hasn't come to our land because teachers can pray with students and because cashiers say Merry Christmas. Revival will come to our land when the very people of God are faithful to God, are more faithful to God than a prostitute is to her husband. That's why revival hasn't come, because we're often so unfaithful to him. And we must return to him. Stop being unfaithful. Stop playing the prostitute. The Lord is the one that brings revival to the land. It's up to you to position yourself to where he can do that. Return to the Lord. Press on to know him more and more. Fix your eyes, your heart, and your mind in every way on the new Hosea. Come home. The light's on for you. Father, Lord, I am often so unfaithful to you as as all of us are. Often I open my Bible and I read right through the passage and don't think about anything that I said because I got to check that off my list for the day. And Lord, that is nothing but a burnt offering that you don't want. That is not love. That is not knowledge of God. That is simply doing what I'm supposed to do to, to check off some box and you are not honored by that. Lord, there are so many things that we put our hope in related to church that do not matter. What matters is that we return to you. So, Lord, I pray for myself that daily I would take up my cross and follow you. And I pray for every person watching this broadcast right now that they would take up their cross and follow you, that they would return to the Lord and not put their hope in things that aren't you, you know, put their hope in the U.S. economy or, or in the U.S. government or in, um, in, in anything, Lord, but, but you. You're the only one who can save us. You're the only one who can give us hope. Lord, help us to come home. And we praise you that you leave the light on for us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.